0: we kept our own thing in there, but we wanted to honor Bond and the songs in the past and the, you know what I mean? Like.
1: So much of the theme for me is based on, you know, the original guitar riff, the big flick. And I couldn't resist it. So I, you know, I phoned Johnny Marr and I said, what's the best guitar part in movies to play? What's the only guitar part in movies to play? Goes Bond. I'm going. Yeah, exactly. Will you come and and do it?
2: Welcome to No Time to Die, the official James Bond podcast. I am your host, James King. No Time to Die is the 25th film in the iconic franchise, and this series will give you exclusive behind-the-scenes access. In this episode, we'll explore one of the most iconic parts of any Bond film: the music. I'll speak to the people both past and present, who have artfully employed their craft to make ingenuity and style synonymous with the franchise, such as the film's title designer Daniel Kleinman, as well as five-time film score and two-time title song composer David Arnold. I'll speak to Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell on composing the new Grammy Award winning Bond theme tune, plus No Time To Die score composer Hans Zimmer. So, that Bond theme tune. Created by Monty Norman and arranged by John Barry, it has been used since the first ever Bond film, Dr No, in 1962. The blaring horns and twangy guitar riff, played famously by Vic Flick, became cinematic tradition and established the blueprint for each Bond theme tune. Musical legends including Shirley Bassey, Paul McCartney, Duran Duran, Madonna and Adele have all contributed their bit in 00 history. It's a sound, it's a feeling, it's unquestionably Bond. I asked No Time To Die's director, Carrie
3: Joji Fukunaga, what makes a good Bond song. Good Bond song. What does make a good Bond song? It's so hard to say. If there was a magic formula, everyone would do it. I think a good Bond song somehow feels reflective of the time, but also of the film. I think it directs the audience emotionally to the right sort of expectation about what they're about to experience, but also can operate on its own on radios and in people's iPods and whatnot. It's a song that people can't forget, a great Bond song. And at what point do you think about the musical score? very early on because we're editing as we shoot and so you're putting on temp score all over it and trying to figure out the right tone and the right texture and the right tempo so the the music really is the glue that keeps everything together and it's the i think the unconscious sort of thread that keeps people leaning forward through a whole story so it's it's constantly on our mind
2: how closely are you working with uh, daniel kleinman on those opening credits
3: Pretty closely. I mean, uh, we've had several meetings already and visual references and storyboards. So like we're working very close and trying to figure out what this thing is. Does he start working on them before you even know the song? He has to just because of time He has to work on it before the song's decided. And it's, it's, a, it's a tricky component, but it's not the first time he's had to do that. Before we get into No
2: Time to Die's theme tune, let's speak to someone who has created the musical worlds for five Bond movies. Tomorrow Never Dies, The World Is Not Enough, Die Another Day, Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace, overseeing the transition from Pierce Brosnan to Daniel Craig. As well as composing the movie scores, David Arnold is also behind not one but two of the film's title songs, The World Is Not Enough by Garbage and You Know My Name by Chris Cornell from Casino Royale. From delivering plot points, creating both tension and release and foreshadowing what's to come, his scores are works of musical art and Sonic Mastery. I sat down with David Arnold to find out more. So if you're commissioned to do the score for a Bond movie, what's the starting point? I mean, is it the script? Is it the rushes? Where do you come in as composer? Uh,
4: Well, I think the question for me would be different from the one that was put to either Monty Norman or John Barry in the early days, because obviously before them, there was no sound of James Bond. There was no James Bond theme. So subsequently all composers are faced with the incredible history of that music and to a certain extent there is an an expectation of a particular kind of sound and when people stray too far from that you know your sort of core you know Bond music fans definitely notice and make their opinions uh, heard (laughs) quite vociferously. But, you know, it's strong enough to withstand a few, you know, left turns here and there. So the first thing is, for me, I always think of the song. Now, I don't know if I'm ever going to have the song that I have in my head used as the title song. But for me, it's like I I need a centre for the entire score. I need the thing which says, this is what this film is. This song, this melody, this attitude is what this film is. And... Usually it's from a script because, to a certain extent, once you know who James Bond is as an actor, you can picture him doing all these things, you know, and the scripts are very particular about what happens.
2: So the music of Bond, more specifically the sound of Bond, what do you think it is, technically speaking?
4: I think it's... um, John Barry's genius was... Well, it it was manifold, but one of the things that he was a big fan of was repeating something. So it worms its way into you. And, you know, his approach to orchestration was, was so sort of viscerally different on Russia with love than anything we'd had in, um, Dr. No. Um, and it was bold and there was space for it in the film. You know, in those days you didn't have 190 tracks of effects and atmospheres and, you know, you hear absolutely everything. There's a lot of silence, in those early films, and there's a lot of air in the mix. So it was less competitive sonically. And John wrote music that was demanded that you heard it when he wanted you to hear it. And I think that sort of early 60s, you know, his Stan Kenton uh, appreciation, uh, you know, that kind of swinging, kind of cool big band thing alongside a you know, sort of filthy guitar and an underlying sense of menace. Those are the things that make you think of James Bond for me.
2: And I'm guessing that when you knew that it was Daniel who'd got the role when he took over from Pierce, that meant in in so many ways, but specifically the music, that meant a change of tone, a change of style of music, because he was bringing a new tone to the character of James Bond.
4: Yeah, well, I mean, the the audition process is a a huge and complicated deal for for James Bond. You know, the actors who are in consideration get to work on purpose-built sets by the design of the films. They're shot on film by the cinematographers of the movies. And certainly in um, Casino Royale's instance, Martin Campbell directed the auditions for everyone. So everyone has the same playing field of opportunity. And they do three scenes. And everyone who auditions is James Bond, but is just a different version of it. You know, it's a very peculiar thing saying, this could really work, this could really work, this could really work. And then Daniel comes in and walks across a room with a sort of purpose that felt to me like nothing was going to stop him getting from one side to the other. You know, he wouldn't have had any tricks up his sleeve. He would have just hit someone or just carried on walking. You know, there was something quite brutal about about the way he moved a sort of forward movement and a purpose which didn't appear to require much consideration, you know, intellectually, it was like, that's what I've got to do. And I'm going to do it. And that in a way informed my entire writing of, of Casino Royale and the great line at the end of Casino Royale, of course it was in the script, you know, we wait all that time for him to say the name's Bond, James Bond. Um, I love the arrogance of Daniels and naivety as James Bond in that film to a certain extent where I I figured like if someone asked him what his name was he would say you know my name I'm not even gonna bother answering you you know before he does something awful to them and I love the energy of that so that's for me that's that's where the title came from and it felt like it said everything you want to say about him you know and that whole that whole song is a warning get out of my way because if you get in my way i'm going to stop you and remove you and daniel kind of bought a very different you know we saw him injured we saw him bleed and that's a very different world that we entered so things kind of changed with daniel and it was a an intriguing couple of movies with him
2: And musically, what did that mean? What are the changes that you brought in compared to Pierce, compared to working on Die Another Day?
4: There were two things at work in Casino Royale that made it so different uh, to Pierce's films. Pierce's films were the standalone James Bond adventures that became increasingly sort of fantastical. Obviously, Die Another Day was the, the apex of that kind of thing with a giant space laser and an invisible car. And it was fun, you know. And certainly with Pierce, you felt like you'd really enjoy the character. You know, you could have a lot of fun with him because he looked like he was having fun with it. But with Casino Royale, we had to think that that, none of that had ever happened because it was Bond at the start of his career. And he hadn't become that person yet. He hadn't learned all the things that he'd learned he didn't know everything about everything and he didn't know how to deal with certain situations so to play out the james bond theme for him would have been wrong because he wasn't james bond yet save it for the end when he's james bond and you reward the weight with that enormous kind of explosion of it at the end of the movie so that was that thing that was going on and the other thing was in order for him to make the journey to James Bond, I needed to kind of go backwards and write the score that would have happened before Dr. No. You know, so the things I were writing had to lead to and relate to what came after, which for us is obviously history. You know, what happened nearly 60 years ago now. So I had to kind of design the music in that like it would be it would make sense for it to hand over to the James Bond theme and it was like it I wanted it to be like its father you know or a very close relation so it was, it was fascinating and I think to a certain extent you know I mean I dropped a lot of the kind of uh, electronic stuff i had been doing with Pierce and went back to a more again organic and in some cases sort of brutalist uh, orchestration style where uh, the violence is in the playing rather than in the the sounds.
2: And we know that a film obviously changes a lot during the post-production process, changes in the edit. Uh, So you as the composer, you have to be very fluid about how the movie's going to change, how your music's going to change, and where it's used, how that will change.
4: It's not very often with a bomb movie that the sense of what's happening changes. It's not very often where you say, you know what, maybe that guy's not a bad guy. Those discoveries aren't made in the filmmaking process. Those discoveries are made in the script writing process. So by the time I get a cut of the film to start working on it, there's very little time between that and us recording the thing. You know, it's usually in about six weeks from start to finish. So the changes that tend to happen are more structural. And those are changes which can be dealt with in a way, slightly editorially. So you chop music up, you have to move it about, you have to write little linking passages to cover the, the gaps or to make the journey from one edit to another more uh, palatable. I spoke to Hans Zimmer a few
2: weeks ago, where incidentally he spent most of the interview talking about how great he thinks you are. What do you think Hans <laughs> is going to bring to No Time to Die? Well,
4: usually 300 of something, you know. <laughs> you know, he has these amazing sort of high concept ideas. Which makes you think, my God, I've got to listen to that. I know that Hans is a John Barry fan. I'm more interested in what he does with the Bond theme, whether he's completely zimmered it up or whether he's you know, nodding to John and nodding to the sort of classic iteration of it. I'm just eternally curious because A, Hans is an extraordinarily creative, original thinking composer who is constantly looking for new ways to do things and I think on these big movies there's more pressure in a way on him to come up with something not only different but also completely appropriate I mean that's everyone's job in film music it's not just restricted to him but he's done it so many times like Inception and Black Rain he kind of created genres of film music that everyone else had to be aware of you can't not be aware of what Hans does in a film
2: And the theme song has already won a Grammy for Billy and Phineas and Hans. Yeah. Tell me about hearing that for the first time. What were your thoughts?
4: Wish I'd written it. (laughs) 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 I mean, when they announced it was going to be Billy, I thought that is an absolutely genius bit of kind of casting. Because I always think that when you choose someone for the song, it's like casting in the movie. It's like, is this the right person for this film? And her first album was so intriguing. I mean, she's an incredible performer. And, you know, sometimes when you think, like, I'm okay, because she gets it. She gets what everything is about, what makes music work, what makes performance work, what makes that communication between an artist and an audience work on your own terms, which is what you want for Bond.
2: Picture the scene, you're settled into your seat at the cinema, there's still plenty of popcorn left in your bucket, and Bond has just started. The familiar theme tune, an opening car chase, an amazing location. Then one of the most anticipated moments of every 007 outing, the opening titles. It's the visuals, it's the little hints at what we can expect from the rest of the film. Let's speak to Daniel Kleinman, the Bond film's titles designer. He's directed the credit sequences for eight of the last nine movies. From Killer Cards in Casino Royale to the watery graves of Skyfall, the opening credits reflect each film's distinctive feel, perfectly capturing the kind of story we're about to watch. I started by asking him what his process is when producing the titles.
5: Uh, Initially, I'm working just with my own brain um, and... I have a sort of brainstorm. I do a lot of research, picture research, sketches, but then I also rope in um, a uh, a storyboard artist who I work with called uh, Corin Brownlee, and I also work with the post house, which quite often is frame store and they have designers and they come up with ideas and things but on on the whole it, it, Uh, I start off by just doing everything myself so that I feel like I've got a really good hook on what the themes are and my intention, the direction. And then I share it with other people and get get some input. And pretty much from there on, I become quite autonomous, actually.
2: What about your influences then? What would you say you draw from? I mean they're, they're quite surreal I suppose some of the opening sequences aren't they
5: Yeah a lot of a lot of them are surreal because uh what I try to do is to make them a little bit narrative in a in an abstract way uh you know perhaps slightly poetic if if that's not too pretentious but then um I also want to not give, them, uh, uh, not give a lot away about what's going to happen in the rest of the film but it has to connect with the film and be perhaps even simple things like the colour palette, the um, some of the action, the main themes of what's, what's going on have to connect with the rest of the film. I mean fairly obviously in Casino Royale for instance the whole theme is to do with uh, gambling and cards and the iconography of money and and that was on the book cover as well wasn't it it was actually that was my first inspiration was taken from uh the book cover which Ian Fleming designed himself and he had some sort of bleeding hearts looking like a playing card and I, I thought that was a really great design and I just ran with that and I had a few key ideas which were things like I, I drew a picture of a gun and instead of smoke coming out I I drew a a little club and then various clubs coming out and it sort of looked like smoke and I thought that's my hook that's how I'm getting into this and using the card um iconography and the card symbols um in ways to suggest other things like you know knives and blood and your usual bond trope (laughs)
2: and you're obviously looking at a script or the ideas for a script early on
5: my first protocol call is to read the script. Um, I have to stay pretty open-minded because the script changes a lot during the process of the filming. Um, so I have to stay a little bit flexible, and I have to stay flexible as well, because at this point, quite likely, I don't know what the song is or what the music's going to be
2: how difficult is it then working without the song? I mean, people might be surprised to hear that you do it without the song because they, they mm. match so perfectly mm. in, the, in the finished product.
5: Well, that's very kind of you to say so. <laughs> I, you know, I try the best I can to make the two things kind of be symbiotic. What do you think are the key ingredients for a, a Bond theme tune? I think there's a, a spacey largeness to the sound that you have to have for a Bond song. There's something about it, I think it, comes way back from John Barry that it has to have a a feeling of of expansiveness and of confidence and um, a feeling of mystery. Um, And those are all sort of indefinable elements uh, that I think for musicians are quite interesting things to introduce. But then still within the background of quite a lot of the um, theme tunes this you can still hear the kind of little bond themes that john barry wrote all those years ago still kind of reinterpreted they're in there in, in the billy eilish track, they are they? they are yes and and that kind of lifts it i think to be bond not just another song it lifts it to be a to be a bond tune
2: Hans Zimmer is a legend in score composing, and his credits include some of the movie world's most epic contributions in recent years – Inception, Interstellar, Dunkirk and Blade Runner 2049. This is the first time Hans has written for the James Bond franchise, as well as penning the score, he worked with Billie Eilish and Phineas to create the already Grammy award winning title song. I asked him about his experience of getting involved with the world of Bond. Hans, we're gonna start with a very general question. Well, it's it's what was it like? It's tell us about working on a Bond movie for the first time and creating music for this incredibly well-known franchise.
1: Well, I have to I have to start by saying, getting a phone call from my friend, Barbara Broccoli, which wasn't about, do you want to go out for dinner? But it was about, do you want to do a Bond movie? It was really surprising. It sort of on purpose never occurred to me that I would do a Bond movie. And at the same time, you know, it's, it's, who doesn't have the dream of doing a Bond movie? And so the phone call came, and I said to Barbara, if, "If if it was okay, if I did it with my friend Steve Mazzaro, who she knows, and he's a complete genius, and, and I just sort of loved this idea of, of of a collaborative way of working on these things, and I, and I knew how important this film was because it was going to be Daniel's you know last Bond movie, so it wasn't just about getting into it." Following in the footsteps of people I truly, truly admire. The obvious one, obviously, being John Barry, but the other one is, of course, David Arnold, who I absolutely, you know, I mean, first of all, I consider him a mate. So, a boyhood dream with the added burden of friendship in a funny way, because you, you never want to disappoint anybody, but you really don't want to disappoint your friends, right? Plus, it's Bond. <laughs> one of the jobs I had was title song. And I listened to Billy and Phineas. There's something about this which is really quite magical and it's it's really uh, one of the things which I loved about it was it was very heartfelt and it wasn't trying to be big and it wasn't trying to be your typical it wasn't trying to compete with your typical Bond thing. It was trying to be its own thing and it kept its own style and identity. And I liked the idea that there was an artist with an identity that the thinking and the spirit of this movie was in sync so
2: when you first heard that song then that was the demo was it and then you came in to work with phineas and billy on the final production
1: yeah but i got my my brilliant engineer steve lipson involved in it so steve phineas billy and i we just oh and black dunkley our conductor who's a great arranger so we all just got in amongst it and started figuring out how how to basically support Phineas and Billy in doing what they do. I mean, they don't need another person playing keyboards. You know, they don't need me for that. But what they do need me for, Yes, I've done a few movies. (laughs) Just in terms of the score,
2: I suppose the thing with Bond is there is a very recognisable mood and sound to Bond movies, basically because of John Barry, who originated that that sound. So how much leeway do you have when you're the composer? Because you have to echo the past a little bit, don't you? Well,
1: I I think your leeway comes from a very simple place. You either love it or you don't love it. And if you don't love it, you're going to go and... You know, do do the wrong thing. The thing with uh, Steve Mazzaro and me is we're huge Bond fans. You know, I mean, down to the minutiae of we have been using the same musicians. You know, for I mean, Gladiator is basically the same orchestra as the Bond movie. You know, Interstellar is the same musician as a Bond movie. So literally the DNA that I have been working with has been, The same DNA, for instance, David Arnold has been working with. And it all comes from, I suppose you have to go and say, it all started with Monty Norman and then it was made glorious by John Barry. And John Barry showed us how it's it's done. And he threw down a really serious gauntlet. And so part of the time you just hang on for dear life because you don't want to disappoint. And at the same time, you know, there's a bit of that thing in you where you go... I just want to beat some of those moments, you know? I just, I just want to bring a bit of my stuff into this and and surprise you. I mean, like, like one of the things, for instance, Derek Watkins, who played trumpet on every Bond movie, uh, who died on the last Bond movie, and the way the Bond theme worked was it was so written for Derek Watkins and mine by John Barry, I mean obviously so these things are important to acknowledge and sort of um, keep that tradition going and right now I, I feel England has the best brass section in the world, best trumpet section in the world and I think it's because of Derek Watkins and Morris Murphy and those guys that grew up with Bond. And Bond gave them a sound and it gave them a recklessness. I mean, those guys are like tigers when they start playing, you know. So I had that section that honored Derek. And then just for one one scene takes place in Cuba. I'm friends with the extraordinary Cuban trumpet player Arturo Sandoval. I said, Arturo, I'm I'm just going to send you some music. I'm not even going to tell you what the movie is, but can you give me a little bit of that Cuban thing that you do? And it's it's very funny when you when you do a session with Arturo and their other trumpet players. There, they also put their trumpets on their knees and they just watch him (laughs) because he's so amazing. So so I had a bit of that as well. You know where where the movie lent itself for for bringing extraordinary musicians in. And another thing that you shouldn't forget is so much of the theme for me is based on, you know, the original guitar riff, the Vic Flick. And I couldn't resist it, so I, you know, I phoned Johnny Marr and I said, what's the best guitar part in movies to play? What's the only guitar part in movies to play? He goes, Bond. I'm going, yeah, exactly. Will you come? Will you come and, and do it? And yeah, it was, it was great. It was fantastic. You know, it's like because he's got he's got that sort of the authority to pull that off. Not every you know you can't just have anybody do it. I mean, I think one of the reasons David Arnold always I I think he always played that part himself was because it 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 took the authority that the composer has to go and do it. Yeah, I could have done it too, but it would have been really rotten.
2: <laughs> and I suppose you can't use that sound that piece of music too much you have to sprinkle it in a movie but you can't repeat it too much. no no no
1: no, and that's not what we did i mean we did write an original score and and uh, but actually you're really making me think about it because i never thought about it but bond as a kid bond has been in my life as a kid being a fan of it then as a young musician i discovered you know i started to listen to the music in a more more sort of um analytical way and going wow this is really amazing then you know years went by i started having my own career and meeting john Barry and just loving john Barry and talking to him about things and and and, you know and then david arnold was doing bond suddenly and 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 the and I loved the passion David brought to it, and and the the, the you know the the, the the respect that he brought to it, and and that taught me something as well, that we had to go and approach it with respect. And I think Barbara knew that. I mean, that was obvious to her that you know we were going to come at it and not try to, not try to make it into you know Interstellar or, off or I don't know whatever it is. We were going to stay true to the spirit of Bond, but. Make it. There's always that thing where people go, "Oh, make it new. Make it. You know, like oh, the old stuff is all just you know boring or whatever." Um, and then and then somebody's trying to make something new, and it's just sort of awful because it's it's it 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 leaves the spirit behind. So it wasn't about making it new. It was like trying to make it timeless. Trying to use tools and musicians and and attitudes that that are more modern. Um, That, that, you know, we've come, we've come, I I suppose I'm guilty of this, you know, I'm I'm part of the generation that changed how action music is written or perceived or produced or whatever. So uh, that that was part of the journey I wanted to do. I've had so many extraordinary adventures in my life. You know, I've worked on such extraordinary projects with so many extraordinary directors, but... Seriously, you know this one's up there. This one this is the one where you go Bond. James Bond. <laughs> okay. I can die now.
2: <laughs> that sounded like an audition for the role there. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> so that Bond song. Billie Eilish is the youngest singer to record a theme song for the Bond franchise at just 18 years old. In the UK, the song has already been certified platinum and is now the most streamed Bond theme ever. Alongside composing royalty Hans Zimmer and her regular collaborator brother Phineas O'Connell, Billie Eilish will now become part of the Bond legacy. I asked associate producer Greg Wilson why Billie was the right choice for bringing No Time to Die to life.
6: Getting Philly was a big coup for us. I mean, she's so incredibly talented and it's, uh, you know, staggering how, you know, she's achieved so much at such a young age. Um, so, you know, I think she really understood really the kind of the tone of what they're trying to achieve with this film. And, you know, she's she's a storyteller, adding those really essential, crucial elements to the film. What is
2: that tone, do you think, that she was trying to capture?
6: I think as a love story, it is a really important strong theme for the film. It touches on, you know, Bond's relationship with Madeline. And you'll you'll have to see how that unfolds. But basically there is a a really unusual dynamic between them. There's also a lot of secrets that she's been withholding. And also she's kind of one of the only people that can ever truly understand Bond because her father was an assassin He was, you know, a nemesis in some ways of Bond. So it's uh, it's really just about the essence of that relationship and sort of the bigger ideas that kind of unfold when you talk about, you know, what you're willing to do for love. She was able to you know, really tie all that together. Do you remember hearing
2: the song for the first time?
6: Yeah, definitely. Hearing the first time really, you know, gave me goosebumps. I think I felt it was really, you know, we found... We found what the film needed for that place.
2: I sat down with Billy and Phineas and started by asking them how different was it writing for the world of James Bond?
0: We were just saying how the the melodies and like writing of the song was, was a little different because we really wanted to represent Bond and not just be like, nah, fuck that. We're going to make it our own thing. We We kept our own thing in there, but we wanted to honor Bond and the songs in the past and the you know what I
7: mean? Like The Bond songs are the reason why we wanted to do a song. Like it yeah. wasn't, you know, we didn't want to do one because we felt like it was a good look. We we just were like, that's so cool. Yeah, The Bond songs are so cool. The franchise is so cool. The music is so cool. Like we want to be part of that. So I think we were, we felt a little bit more like, like uh, guests than we were, than, you know, home field. You know what I mean? Yeah
2: what would you say that uh, 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 your bits then you said you wanted to honor bond but you also wanted your own style your own feel in there mm-hmm. how would you describe your own style and feel in this in this song
0: i think the the minimalism in the beginning of my voice is <laughs> Obviously, i feel yeah. like my voice is pretty much my voice
2: but but at the same time mr uh, it gets a big vocal oh, it towards does. the end doesn't that's it That's for
0: sure it does and that's something i'd literally never done we wanted to give the bond song something that i've I hadn't done before and we wanted to like give it something new and like something, um, not just something I haven't done in a song, but something I've literally never done. And we did. And I feel like it, it, it gave it more.
7: Was I stupid to love you to me felt like a very Billy. I don't think the word stupid has made it into a bond theme yet. So that to me felt like in our vernacular of like lyrics. I was like, oh, this is where like, because the, the melody of that part is very Bond and that lyrical sentiment ties into the film, we feel. But that actual sort of phrasing of it, I was like, I think this is the way that we would actually, it wasn't overly poetic and it's sort of like delivery. It's just, was I stupid to love you? Which I think is like a relatable sentiment, but still felt to me like something that we would put in any song yeah. of ours.
2: And those little musical motifs that we recognize from Bond, like that, that kind of thing and the <laughs> twangy guitar at the end. Yeah. Um, did you feel you had to put those in or was there pressure to put those in or were they your own ideas?
0: I don't really think there was pressure. I think we, we wanted to, it was like, you can't, can't do a Bond song without it sounding like a Bond song, and if you listen closely, you can hear the in the second verse.
7: It's very subtle. It's isn't it?
0: very subtle, and it's very echoed. We decided yeah. to do that. It though. was
7: recorded in London, and then there was like a version without it, and then we were like, "No, no, no, put it, put it back in. That's yeah. great."
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
7: and then Johnny Marr plays all the guitar, and you know that was just like, a, especially his line on the chorus, and then his chord at the end. To us, were like you know, no brainer moments were like yeah, this, this is exactly what it needs here. I spoke to Daniel Kleinman
2: who does the, you know, the, the visuals for the opening credits. So yeah. he's obviously heard the song, you know, several thousand times over the last <laughs> few weeks. Um, do you, are you thinking about those credits at all? When, you, when that, you're making that the That was
0: the, the most exciting, not the most exciting, but it was very exciting. I, I've been watching the opening scene from Skyfall for like years. Like that was also because when I was younger, I hadn't even, when Skyfall came out, I hadn't even seen it, but I just, would like watch the intro and oh my god it's so good oh my god when we were making the song i just we kept watching that one over and over again
7: they're so good and and
0: i don't know i don't want to speak for phineas but the whole time we were making it i was just thinking about the beginning and and the the whole um, intro.
2: So when you were listening to the other songs, was it always watching the opening credits or were you listening just to the audio or were you watching the, the videos? It was a,
0: b- a bit of both. Um,
2: and you felt you had to go back and listen to, to old tracks?
0: Well, we watched all the movies. Um,
2: we watched all the
7: Daniel Craig
0: movies. All the, yeah, all the Daniel Craig movies within... When we were told about it, to like when we recorded it, again, because yeah, yeah, because we just wanted to get it back fresh in our brains and um, have it like just be our main priority of of trying to, I don't know,
7: yeah, we We watched all of them, we listened to all those songs, and then we, you know, I think I think because the these movies are all um, within the same canon, you know, we wanted to. Sort of only pull from from these uh, sort of scripts, but but musically we you know went back and listened to Shirley and Paul McCartney and you know yeah. everybody we everybody did, that we did, did those. I think we just wanted to make sure that sort of subject matter wise we were like at the time sort of like tunnel visioned in on on the the Craig. Um, Quintilogy or whatever five, uh, <laughs> a five movie, a series is called these days.
2: You, you've said that you were talking about doing a Bond theme like a couple of years ago, I guess, almost joking about it with each other, I guess.
0: It was just that we've always, it's been like a subconscious thing. We've always just like wanted to like, I remember literally years ago, Phineas wrote some, it's so weird to think about now because it feels like such a different subject but it's not, which is that like Phineas would write something. And I remember mom being like, Oh my God, that sounds like Bond. And we'd all be so excited about it. And like, <laughs> that'd be so cool. I don't know. It's funny to think back to that time. Cause it was such a dream we had that we never thought would actually happen.
7: We, I mean, I remember last year going through my voice memos and we title all our voice memos when we're writing and there was a voice memo that I was going through that just said Bond-esque. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember being like, Billy. And you know, again, this was far away from, from even really having meetings with people to talk tell them all how much we wanted to do a Bond film, you know, but we were always, we always wanted to write a a theme. What do you think
2: that means then, Bond-esque? What what is that sound?
7: Hmm. I mean, I think it's harder to describe emotionally than it is to describe in a kind of, you know, musical terms. I think it's a cadence. I think it's a, you know, it's it's voicings of chords. It's the instrumentation that lies on top of those. It's the melodies that, you know, lie on top of that. I think, um, you know, there's a real... To me, there's a real through line with all the great, you know, Bond songs, and they don't all sound the same for sure, and they shouldn't, but they they have the same, uh, like, twist on on sort of the the scale. I feel like it's almost its own scale in a certain way. There's, like, Middle Eastern scale, and there's, you know, it's like there's a Bond scale that you'd, you'd touch on these notes on a piano, um, and I think that's always... It's always like, uh, as a musician, you, you hit him accidentally and you're like, oh,
2: fun song. And and those big notes at the end, I mean, you listen to the end of Goldfinger or Tom Jones or whatever, you know, they they end on a huge note. So you said that you hadn't done that kind of thing before. Tell me about that day when you went in to record the vocal and you knew you were going to be doing something different.
0: The demo that we had before we even worked with Hans and Steven and Johnny um, or Barbara even was longer a lot longer and there was this one part that that isn't in there now that it wasn't like different lyrics or anything it was the same lyrics but there was a belt in it and that got cut and so we kind of but when we thought of that one it wasn't even we didn't even like try to think of it we were in like Texas because we wrote the song in Texas and recorded all of it in like three days there was just this one night we were in the green room and I was recording the chorus and I just did a belt. I was like, I don't think I could hit that note if I don't belt it. he's was like, so do it. <laughs> so I did it. And then that was kind of, I think, that was like the moment we were like, oh, I can actually do this. <laughs> um, and then when that was cut, then we, we had a new part happen and I just was...
7: I mean, kind of everything else was... Pretty done at this point. The yeah. strings were recorded. The Johnny belt was, was the recording. last
0: thing we did, um, and, and it, it was because I while. think it was
7: because we had the at that point we had the instrumentation under it, and we knew how dynamic it gets.
0: I couldn't be singing soft under that part.
7: The whole kind of like philosophy behind minimalism is that when you do something, it is momentous because there isn't something else surrounding it. And I think in in certain ways, our entire approach to our entire catalog leads to like. A moment like this where you go like because we don't fucking scream all over all our songs when there's a moment where <laughs> Billy really goes for a note it stands out and it has this impact that it might not otherwise have if we were just you know making songs that were all on 10. Tell me about working with Barbara what, what did she say to you?
0: We had like a little meeting and we just we just talked about Bond and we just praised her because we love it and um, yeah she gave us a couple little details on the movie and. That was really helpful for us for writing purposes because it always helps to have a storyline. And then she sent us um, the first scene script-wise and it was crazy. So then that was like, boom, we wrote the song afterwards. It's
2: a character's point of view. It's not you telling your story or you telling your story. It's you're getting into the head of someone else.
0: Honestly, that's what—that's the way we've written for a really long time. I was saying earlier, like, that's always been the easiest way for us to write. We've always written in characters and... Um, like a ton of our songs are like not at all from our perspectives they're like you know we've written from the point of view of people we know, point of view of people we don't just like a character that we made up or whatever and that was what was really cool about this was that we could do that again and this was even a, a kind of more interesting way of doing it because somebody else it was somebody else's idea you know what I mean? It was like somebody else's story that they wrote
2: In our next episode the cars, the gadgets, the action of Bond Director Carrie Joji Fukunaga hails the return of Bond's original
3: Aston Martin. Well, the DB5 is the Aston Martin that that Bond and Dr. Swan take off in Inspector. I've just always loved a minigun. I just thought that would look pretty cool coming out of the headlights. And Daniel
2: Craig on getting dressed for action.
5: If I have a suit that's involved in an action sequence, I need 25 of them. 20 or 25 of them. This
2: is a Something Else production. Follow now to make sure you don't miss an episode.